Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Appreciate it, Coop. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. The coroner's verdict is in in the Gabby Petito case. We now know Gabby was strangled, and we can tell you what detail will matter most to investigators. We also learned something else from the coroner. Here it is. As far as the uh, time of death, uh, we are estimating three to four weeks from the time that uh, the body was found. Now, this is an approximation, right? The coroner went on to say, uh, give or take a week. Uh, The finding, however, is significant in terms of timing. We're going to take you into the timeline and show you why. Now, here's what we know. Gabby was found September 19, Wyoming's Bridger Teton National Forest, thanks to other campers. That's how the cops found out where she was. Dr. Blue, the coroner, says they estimate she was killed three to four weeks before she was discovered. Now, they're always going to give a range. It's hard to know precisely. So where does that put the death? Approximately between August 22, which it can't be, I'll explain why in a second, and the 29th, okay? We know we can narrow that window. The last reported sighting of Gabby Petito by witnesses was on August 27, Mary Piglet's restaurant, Jackson, Wyoming. So if the coroner's time frame is right and the date of the last sighting is right, which we know it is, Gabby may have been killed sometime between August 27 and August 29. We know her fiancé, Brian Laundrie, was still in the area during August 27 to August 29. How? Because two drivers who picked him up hitchhiking say they both gave him rides without Gabby, without Gabby, on August 29 in the Grand Teton National Park. You'll remember he was described as seeming a little off. He got in a car, then he got out, he offered the money. Behavior was erratic, said the other person who picked him up. It wasn't until September 1, that Brian Laundrie showed up back at home across the country in Florida in Petito's van. They shared it. So the timeline could be off plus or minus a week, but it potentially excludes the idea that this could not have been the fiance. By looking at the timeline, I wasn't there. I was home. I had come back to deal with the storage unit. Those explanations won't seem to cover what is now in the world of probability. However, investigators are working with more. First, we know that Gabby was found near a campsite. No reports that she was hidden or buried. What does that mean to investigators? It is suggestive of a spontaneous event, a lack of planning pointing to a crime of passion. Who commits crimes of passion? Most often, someone familiar to the victim. We also learned today, as expected, DNA was collected from Gabby's body. Now, what will be interesting is if there is any finding of any DNA that was not the fiancé's. Why? Because if there is no body else except him in terms of evidence of contact with the body, with Gabby, 
the idea that this was a random attack by a stranger becomes more suspect. However, the big takeaway for investigators is going to be this part of the autopsy. You see it on the screen? Cause is death by manual strangulation throttling. Throttling is a little bit of a term of art within uh, the forensic field. That is strangled by human force, meaning there's no evidence that this was a rope or a garage or something like that, you know, something, uh, some implement or tool. Now, what does that indicate? Again, lack of planning, suggestive of a crime of passion. That makes finding Gabby Petito's fiance, Brian Laundrie, more important than ever. Now, where he is concerned, two things very damaging uh, on top of everything that was learned today. The only person I've ever heard of in all my years doing this job whose loved one goes missing and they not only refuse to help look for the person, but won't communicate with her family. Now, that is a matter of fact since Gabby Petito disappeared. Then he went missing since September 13th, which could easily be construed by investigators as evidence of his own negative feelings about his role in the situation. Uh, His parents and investigators have been searching with no uh, luck at the Carlton Nature Reserve in Venice, Florida for weeks. That's where the parents say he went. There is no other indication that he went there except that they say that's where he went. Now, interestingly, the attorney for the laundry family reiterated after this ruling was announced that Brian is only considered a person of interest in relation to Gabby's death and that he's only charged at this point with the unauthorized use of a debit card that the lawyer volunteered was Gabby's. The indictment did not say that. Now, what was the point of such a statement? It's interesting, but it's a side issue. The big question is with what investigators now know do they have for an, enough for an arrest? And if so, what would the charge be? That's where our, we turn to the better minds now. We have CNN legal analyst and criminal defense attorney Joey Jackson, forensic pathologist, former medical examiner, Dr. Michelle Dupree. It's good to have you both. Doc, let me start with you. Uh, let's deal with what we know, and then I'll go to Joey about what that could show. All right. On the no side, um, were you surprised by this? No, not really. Um, I I do think that it is a crime of passion and strangulation is very common in those. Now, what else uh, do you think that you can tell about circumstances based on what you know from the forensics, the location of the body, the timing and what they said in the autopsy? This all tells me that, again, it was probably not planned. It was probably a spontaneous act. It was most likely um, domestic violence related. Um, It also tells me that um, he didn't try to cover it up. Um, If she was killed there, and I'm not sure that we know that she was, um, if she was not dumped there, then again, this was very random, or not random, but spontaneous. Um, Now, if she had been dumped there, left there, um, wouldn't that be somewhat inconsistent with her being found out in the open, as opposed to if somebody was going to leave a body somewhere, wouldn't they want to hide it? 
Yes and no. Um, again, they may just dump it there and want to get away quickly, thinking that because they've moved to a secondary location, um, there would be less evidence and less likely to be found. Um, it's still a forensic countermeasure. What does that mean? Um, it means that it's still a, um, a method of trying to cover up what they did if that person was moved from the original crime scene. How often is strangulation, specifically throttling, which means with human hands, as opposed to using an instrument uh, or any kind of device, uh, how common is it that that is someone familiar to the deceased? It's very common. That is one of the most common ways that a partner would strangle, would kill another person is by strangulation. How do you die by strangulation? Um, it's asphyxia, which is cutting off the oxygen to the brain, and it's typically by the hands wrapped around the throat or the neck in order to cut off that circulation, how long, and therefore the oxygen. How long does it take? Um, well, it depends you know, on how hard it's done. Um, it can take minutes. It can take um, you know, a few minutes, really. Hmm. Okay. Thank you, Doc. Um, now, Joey, in terms of what this will mean to investigators, uh, the headline question is, do you believe on what they see in this autopsy, they have enough to arrest Brian Laundrie if they can find him? There's no question about it, Chris. Good evening to you and to Dr. Dupree. The reality is, is that you just conducted a prosecutor's direct examination of a witness who's going to give you information critical to the conviction. Why? Dr. Dupree spoke to the issue of how it would be a crime, right? That would be passionate, that would be intimate. She spoke to the issue of strangulation. She spoke to the issue of the nature of the cause of death, etc. And then you ask yourself the question, well, who would that individual be? And then you have other information. You specified it and spelled it out very well, Chris, in the outset with respect to the timeline. But I would suggest the prosecutor has more. Like what? There are these prior bad acts. And if you want to talk about a rosy relationship where everything was great and fun and he would never do such a thing, I say just wait one minute. You look at the Mohab interaction with respect to the... Uh, non-arrest, right? But the domestic violence issue, that's one. You look at witness statements with regard to how they behave in an interaction in a restaurant, that's two. Why is that important? Because prior bad acts give you an indication of a pattern of behavior. So who would this person be who did this, who was traveling around with her, the very person who engaged in those other negative interactions? I think it's powerful, significant. What's that? The autopsy report with respect to the cause of death. Uh, him leaving slash disappearing means what? It means consciousness of guilt. In the event that you did nothing, in the event that you have clean hands, in the event that, oh my goodness, you want to find her, you want to know what happened to her, you'd be the first to call the police, wouldn't you, sir? You'd be the first to go and help the family, wouldn't you, sir? You'd be the first to find out and determine what happened to the one you loved and wanted to spend the rest of your life with. The fiance you were traveling across the country dictating every single thing you were doing on Instagram. But what happens? You're in the camera smiling on Instagram, showing what you're eating, cooking, everything else. And then all of a sudden you disappear? Is that indicative of conduct, it's, which is suggestive of innocence? I say not. DNA presupposes, doctor, that of course you'll find the fiance's DNA on Gabby. That shouldn't be damning. Uh, is there any specificity of where DNA is found uh, in terms of how she died that could be instructive, even if it is the fiance's? Well, certainly, if you found DNA, um, say, uh, under her fingernails, for example, 
Um, that could be a sign of a defensive wound, that there was a struggle. Um, <clears throat> DNA found other places. Again, depends on where that is. They were a fiancé. They were a couple. Um, the interesting thing would be if you found other DNA or foreign DNA. Right. Then now you, I mean, that would be uh, Brian Laundrie, if this winds up being him that has targeted his defense counsel's dream, uh, is to raise some doubt. Let me just ask you something, not from a forensic perspective, uh, but just from your experience in so many cases. Have you ever heard of a loved one not participating in the search for someone who's missing? Um, Only on very rare occasions. And why? Uh, That was because they were the cause of death. Dr. Dupree, thank you very much. Joey Jackson, look, just because it happened before doesn't mean it's true here. Prosecutors have to make the case every time out beyond a reasonable doubt. This isn't about canceling uh, somebody. This is about convicting them for a major felony. Thank you both very much. As we get more information, I'll bring you back. Appreciate it. All right. Now, politics. If you are a GOP governor, why would you pick a fight with your own base and big business? That's the question circling around the Texas governor. How strong is the pull of being like Trump? He's going after vaccine mandates that now big businesses in his state are ignoring. And now a fellow prominent conservative in Texas is not happy with him. He's here to tell us why. Next. All right, let's start with the good news. 78.4% of adults in the United States are fully vaccinated. You've heard the experts. We can potentially end the pandemic in a matter of months, in part by getting more adults and children vaccinated. But you know what's not going to help? What we now call politics, which is really something much uglier than this service of people, which is what politics is. Messages like this from one congressman, Jim Jordan, today urging the state of Ohio to end all vaccine mandates. That's what Governor Abbott just did in Texas with that executive order, barring companies from acquiring employees to get the shot. Why are politicians doing their damnedest to keep us from reaching it? Let's bring in conservative radio host Mark Davis from 660 AM, The Answer, in Dallas, Fort Worth. Good to have you on the show, brother. Thanks, Chris. You know, it's interesting. Uh, When I was reading in on this, I'm very happy you took the opportunity to come on. Um, Government telling people what to do, conservatives not going to like it. Really, nobody likes it. Nobody likes to be told what to do. Um, But you don't like hearing a governor, let alone a supposedly conservative governor, telling companies that they can't do something that you believe they are allowed to. How so? Well, it it calls to mind a certain consistency in the conservative mindset of what government's role should be in business decision making. And to my mind, that that role is as little as possible. That means that Joe Biden is wrong to tell companies that you must have a vaccine mandate. And governors from Abbott to DeSantis, whom I also love, uh, are wrong to tell companies that they cannot. I am a business and economic liberty guy as much as I am an individual liberty guy. People have the right to get the shot or not. And businesses have the right to have whatever vaccine policies they please. So two days ago, Abbott just tweeted, in Texas, it is businesses, not government. Um, Why the change? Well, I I can't read minds, but uh, there there are two theories, and I'll bet it's a combination of both. 
The easy one that a lot of people pay attention to is a there's a rightward pivot perceived from Governor Abbott as a result of two campaigns, one by Alan West, the other by former state Senator Don Huffines, running to the right of him. And they view as their goal to convince millions of Texas voters who gladly voted for Abbott four years ago that he is now suddenly insufficiently conservative. That's a high mountain to climb, but they're coming at him every day. Uh, so politics and pivoting, that that's one theory. The other one, though, is that in the coverage that you guys have done and everybody else has done, the Southwest work stoppage, the occasional hospital that's having a shutdown because 10, 20 percent of their health care workers are protesting the, 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 the vax mandate, there's serious concern that the mandates themselves, well-meaning though they may be, and there's debate over that, may be causing this backlash and, and this serious uh, full-on revolt that may bring portions of an already fragile economy to its knees, creating, a, I believe, a valid debate over whether the mandates are in some way counterintuitive if our goal is to get more people vaccinated. Well, it depends on how people's perspective on the mandate is shaped. Why do you think, uh, Mark, that no other established democracy in the world is having the struggle that we are with getting vaccinated? Well, it, it's, it's a similar cousin to the, why are we the only country with X amount of gun proliferation? America's different. America's special. America is unique. There's a liberty mindset that rolls through our veins, and I have it even though I am proudly vaccinated. My freedom involved my ability to make that choice. The, 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 the whole COVID nightmare has presented us with wildly unprecedented things, and there's a portion of America and a portion of Southwest Airlines and a portion of some hospital emergency rooms that just don't want to be told to put something in their body that they don't want. And I really do believe that if the mandates went away, there'd be people who would grudgingly over time say, OK, I'll do it because I'm not being told that I have to. What are you hearing from your listeners uh, when it comes to this issue? It's a delicious mixture. I do a conservative show, but I'm proud to welcome everybody from every perspective. There are people who think that I am somehow problematic because I have not glommed on completely with Abbott and DeSantis and saying, yeah, tell those businesses they can't do this. And it is a sobering thing to hear from someone who says, I've worked at XYZ Corporation for 20 years. It's my livelihood. And now they're going to fire me because I won't get the shot? And my first answer is, well, guess what? Get the shot. But then I'm telling them what to do. They do have that latitude. They do have that freedom. But XYZ Corporation also has the right to have its rules. So it's a collision of liberties, and it just creates a, a fascinating debate every day. And it's hard to know exactly where it's all going to go, because in looking at what's going on at Southwest, I'm wondering if that's not inspiring uh, workers in other workplaces who are saying, you know what, if we can get enough people to bring a company to its knees, then maybe we can get them to lose the mandates too. But even if a company wanted to lose the mandate, Chris, there's the White House lording over them saying you can't because if we tell they you, do work you have with to the federal the government. If they do work with the federal government. Well, the, the, the Biden mandate involves, you don't have to work with the federal government to feel the sting of the Biden mandate. You have to have 100 employees. Right. But the Biden mandate says you got you to be vaxxed. And there are people who just say that's wrong. They just say they just don't tell me what I have to do on this personal health care. Here's the choice. part I don't get, and then I'll let you go. And I appreciate you being on very much. Hope to see you. No again. problem. Um, mm -hmm. Conservatives grew up uh, all around them, married into conservative family. Um, it's not a just about what you have the right to do. It was always about what is right. And it seems like half of that equation has been abandoned uh, by conservatives. It's my freedom. Okay, you have the right not to take the vaccine. 
But what tells you that it is right when it seems to check every traditional conservative notion? Is there science behind it? Yes. Does it help you keep yourself and those you care about safe? Yes. Is it part of your responsibility to doing the right thing ethically by others? Yes. What happened to those values within the conservative movement as opposed to just this resistance by right? The question suggests that conservatism compels the vaccine, which it does not. I am a decided conservative, a proud conservative, and I am proudly vaccinated. Conservatism involves viewing liberty as something that by its definition means that there are some people who may say things and do things that we disagree with. I'm having it out every day with people who give me reasons why they're not getting the shot. And I find some of those reasons, shall we say, informationally challenged. But I'm not going to come into their lives and tell them what to do. And I don't want government doing it either. I'm not saying government. Don't need the government to tell you to do it if it's right. Remember, character counts. Didn't I hear that in a campaign once? Character counts. Well, by all means. Where is good character in the assessment that I'm not going to do this just because nobody can tell me to do it? Right. Even though I, it may make me sick, may make people I care about sick, or others. That's what I don't get about the Alan West position, by the way. Thank God he's going to be okay, well, we hope. But yes. all we need is antibodies. All we need is the pill. The pill and antibodies don't keep you from getting sick. Why is that being ignored here? It just seems like... But, but here's the thing. But I, I don't go... Alan's a friend of mine. I don't go to him for medical advice. He can do whatever he wants to do. And a lot of people called me and they said, Mark, you know, Alan, now that he's got a big honking case of the COVID, what's he going to do now? And I said, he's going to double down, not just on being anti-mandate, but on his own vaccine hesitancy. That's what he's doing. His base loves it. He's, do, he's being Alan. I'm being me. You're being you. That's what conservatism really, really means. It's respecting those differences. A lot of people I hear from him every Every day who aren't getting the shot. I wish they would, but I'm not going to make them. Mark Davis, I appreciate you coming on this show. I didn't Thank make you, you, but I'm glad you took the opportunity. <laughs> exactly. Thoroughly voluntary. Be well. Be well. A star NBA player says, I'm exercising my right. I'm not going to take the, vi- uh, the uh, vaccine. And the basketball league, the NBA says, okay. But now his team, the Brooklyn Nets says, but you can't play. Regular season opener just a week away, arguably one of the two or three best point guards in the league, not going to be on the court. Is this the right call by the Nets? Is this the right call by him? A sports world insider with his take on the situation. We just can't get enough of making our own trouble when it comes to COVID. Now one of the biggest stars in the NBA is off the court because he won't get the vaccine. The Brooklyn Nets say point guard Kyrie Irving will not play or practice with the team until he's eligible to be a full participant. The NBA doesn't have a league-wide mandate for the players, but it does follow local vaccine rules. And yes, players in the NBA are well more vaccinated than the rest of us. It's like 96% of them. The removal of a key all-star could have ripple effects. Let's bring in sports journalist, host of The Right Time with Bomani Jones. Bomani Jones. Good to see you. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, let's look at Kyrie first. You think he's making the right decision? 
I mean, right is an individual sort of notion. I could not see a circumstance under which I would take the path that he's taken. And we just got a report uh, from Sham Sharani at The Athletic that Kyrie believes that he is taking on a much larger cause for more people. He believes that he is standing up as a voice for the voiceless, is the way that this report put it, and that he's standing up for the people who lost their jobs because of vaccine mandates. And that's just a little bit weird because it's interesting that the voice for the voiceless isn't actually using his voice. We find this out via anonymous right. sources. Like, Kyrie is a one-of-one sort of situation and i can't purport to understand fully what his logic is on this but it couldn't be me well he's gotten some things twisted before but i think the most central concern is you want to uh speak for people speak for your teammates um i mean what do you think this says to them well or if you're going to speak for people actually speak for the people because one thing that's happened with a lot of guys in the nba or really just across sports is the idea that this is a personal decision and i think that this goes beyond sports that this somehow became something very sacred that people do not disclose to people without even really giving much of a rationale for it but with his teammates it seems pretty clear that they got sick of this like i think that a lot of guys no and you know this is fairly informed for people i talk to where they just figured in the end of course he's going to show up because i mean why wouldn't he show up And then he doesn't show up. And I don't think that they were ready for that. And I don't think that anybody really likes the premise or the idea that somebody thinks he's just going to show up for half the games. Uh, The league does not have a player mandate, should it? Uh, No, I don't think so. Or at the very least, I understand why that's something that the Players Association would fight vehemently. And their members do not want a mandate. The owners are not in a position to impose that. Um, I am uncomfortable, particularly in sports, with the idea that you have to make somebody take anything just because these are people who trade on their bodies. It's a little bit different and there's more nuance, I think, in terms of the decision there. But without a mandate in this particular world, they've gotten spectacularly high vaccination rates, which tells me that a mandate probably wasn't necessary. Uh, LeBron James had been caught up in a little bit of controversy about the vaccine. Do you think it is fair for NBA stars to be looked to uh, for saying the right things and doing the right things where the vaccine is involved? I think it depends on who we're talking about. I do think that there's a measure of responsibility that comes from the platform that you have. But I also think that if you're somebody who has leaned in on the idea that you have a platform, then now is not the time to back off of it. So LeBron is a person I look to when I make that statement because he's leaned in on this idea that he is a leader. He's about something larger. He was showing up to playoff games with Leader to Society t-shirts. This, to me, would be a time when you would think that that leader would be necessary and need to step up. Um, going then and just saying, well, I respect everyone's decisions. You can respect their decisions while also vehemently saying that you disagree with them if you so choose. So if you have decided that you're going to be a front-facing person and you have decided that you are going to come to the front of the room and be the one to lead people, then now is the time to lead. Um, There is a larger question about how much should we truly value the opinions of famous people, but you can make the argument the horse has left the barn. Like Now that you're here, that comes with a measure of responsibility. Bomani Jones, thank you very much. Appreciate the conversation. Thank you. All right. President Biden was elected to help end this pandemic, to do better, to bring people together. And everything has been very hard. He's got a long list of items on his agenda, and he's not checking a lot of boxes. And you know what happens in politics? What goes up must come down, just like his approval rating, sinking while the amount of issues he has to tackle grows. What does this mean for him and for you. We're going to talk big picture with the OAO, Van Jones, next. You think the Democratic Party realizes that Biden's numbers going down and them fighting over price tag politics may have something to do with each other? The House just kicked the debt ceiling trouble 
to December, but that's not even really checking a box. I don't even know how many of you really care about that debt ceiling situation. At the same time, we're all likely to be searching for what ship our kids' holiday presidents, uh, presents are stuck on. We got huge supply chain issues. You got teachers quitting in Florida. You got other, all kinds of workers quitting all over the place. Some of it, it's about the vaccine. Some we don't understand. Some never came back after COVID. Gas prices are going up. Inflation is going to be a concern soon. You'll start hearing people talk about it. Americans, again, look at this graph. This is what I was talking about earlier. Why are they quitting their jobs? Biden is expected to talk about the economy tomorrow, especially these, specifically these issues. But what does he have to do to get the needle moving in a positive direction for himself? And is his own party working against him? Lots to discuss. The OAO, the one and only Van Jones. So it's good to have you. Well, it's, I've never met another one. So you are the one and only. Um, Fair enough. The numbers are down. The party is fighting with itself over what should be easy wins. Are they connected? Well, uh, yeah, I think that right now, um, you know, the honeymoon's over. Uh, there was a moment where it's like Trump, you know, goodbye, Trump. Hello, vaccines. We're so glad to see you, Joe Biden. That's kind of how this year started. And then, you know, he actually got stuff done. Don't forget, you got 200 million Americans who are vaccinated right now. Uh, you got a trillion dollars that he was able to move out to the economy with the, with the rescue plan. He's you know, dealing with the coup attempt well. His Department of Justice is going after voter suppression. He's doing a lot of good stuff. The problem is that he uh, put himself in a position where he made big, bold claims about the rest of the agenda. You think this great stuff that we did is good? It's nothing. Wait until this summer when you're going to get all this other stuff. And then he steps on a rake and then he slips on a banana peel and then he falls down the stairs with some marbles. And now people are looking at him in a negative light. Now, uh, can can they recover? Yes, they can recover. Uh, if at the uh, this time next year, if gas prices have come down, if, if cases are going down, jobs going up, uh, you're going to be in a different situation. But right now, the Democratic Party is, is looking over the edge of a cliff and there's a lot of fear and concern. And it, we're, you're not seeing that strong Joe Biden leadership that I think people were expecting to get stuff done, to get the next round of stuff done. So I would say it is unfair for you to say they or that he stepped on the rake. He failed because if I were him, I'd be blaming my people in Congress for these fights and not just Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. I'd be mad at all of them for making me look bad. However, the last point that you made, where is the Joe Biden who knows the game, who likes straight talk, who likes to get in people's faces, who likes to talk, period? Why don't we see him all the time addressing these things, press conferences, TV shows? Where is he? Well, uh, I mean, uh, when, when he does that stuff, sometimes people you know, get mad over what he, what he is saying. I think a couple things. Number one, uh, the next round of wins that he needs. Uh, which has to do with getting the bipartisan infrastructure bill done and then giving the progressive something more than that. That's basically the formula. He's sitting, on, he's sitting on top of the biggest win any president could have, a massive trillion-dollar bipartisan bill that even uh, his opponent, uh, Mitch McConnell, supports. He can't get that across the finish line, though, until he gives the progressive something more. They wanted $3.5 trillion more. Maybe they should get $2, two trillion more. That, that, but once that comes across the finish line, something more for the progressives. And it's not just progressives. You're talking about, you know, helping, you know, grandmas who need hearing aids. You're talking about helping kids who need, 
you know, pre-K, you're talking about real stuff for real people, then it's going to look very differently. He needs another big legislative win. Uh, that has to happen. Uh, again, the, the gas prices this time next year have to be going back down. Jobs have to be going back up. He can get there, but right now you've got a major problem because the victory that he promised us this summer has been held up and it's his own party holding it up because of our internal uh, divisions. Where are you on the worryometer about the midterms? Um, look, I'm, I'm, wor- I'm worried right now uh, because, uh, you know, uh, he, he, like I said, he's not getting credit for the great stuff that he's done because he promised more and hadn't delivered yet. Um, and so I'm worried. Uh, at the same time, uh, I, I do fundamentally think that we're going to be in a better place with regard to COVID this time next year. You had the number earlier, almost 80%. We're getting close to herd immunity. If you, if you, if you stop with Delta, if you don't wind up with an Omega variant, I think this time uh, next year, cases are down, gas prices are down, jobs are up, and he's got some real legislative wins. But if, you don't, if, if, if any of those four go the wrong way, if cases are, are up, gas prices are up, you still can't pull up a legislative win, we're in very deep trouble. Well, I think that you're in very deep trouble anyway, because you are going up and against an opponent that will lie about anything to beat you, that seems to have made a decision that it is better to bring the House down than to not lead it. Um, And I don't really hear Democrats kind of expressing that like in a existential fashion that like (laughs) these people that you're up against they are willing to take down the democracy. I mean, we've never seen anything like what we just lived through. And you guys well, are I, fighting over price tags. Well, I think that we're trying to show that if you, if you let us govern, it's go, you're going to get more than just not uh, fascism. You, if you let us govern, you're going to get more than just not the worst uh, uh, situation ever. If you let us govern, you're going to get help for your kids. You're going to get help for your grandma. You're going to get help. And so I think it's a fight worth having internal to the party. I just think at a certain point, uh, you've got to be able to cut a deal. And we've not been able to figure, to figure out how to cut that deal. Listen, I, I don't know what Democrats you're talking to. Every Democrat I'm talking to is miserable, upset, depressed, and terrified of what we're seeing from the Republican Party in terms of their willingness to burn the House down, in terms of their willingness to, to lie about a coup, in terms of their willingness to, I mean, every Democrat I know is very, very uh, frustrated and upset. I will say, guys, it is October. Mm-hmm. We still have 12 more months plus before the midterms. There is time to turn this around. There's no question. I'm just saying, when you're up in ex- against an existential threat, any win is a win. And, you know, I, I just, I think that would be uh, the urgency. And I'll tell you what, I want to, obviously, I'll have you back on. You know what we have to discuss? I still think that if you guys get whooped in the midterms, the legacy is going to be the only agenda item that mattered was securing the democracy, and you didn't do it. And you should have gone to Joe Manchin, whoever it was, and said, we've got to pass something to stop these states from disenfranchising a huge group of Americans. And it's not going to get done before the midterms. Van Jones, respect you. You fought for it. I had you here. You were right. Take care. Thank you. And look, again, you know, is there hype? Yes, there's hype in all things. But if you don't think This democracy is being strained in a way that certainly I've never seen in my lifetime. I'm 51. I've been doing this over 20 years. I've never seen anything like where we are right now. You have half the political system invested in saying our elections are illegitimate. A prominent Democrat on the January 6th committee is now calling out some of his fellow lawmakers as insurrectionists. Adam Schiff 
Is that a fair point? Next. Democrats on the January 6th committee are talking about moving quickly to enforce subpoenas. You see it all over the media. Now, I say it's hype because they don't even have that much muscle when it comes to enforcing subpoenas. I'm going to talk to one of the foremost experts about that in just a moment. But that talk is getting tough from the Democrats, sharp, especially if they were going to say it on the floor of the House. If they did, if they said what they're saying outside that floor on the floor, they'd get in trouble. Listen to this. What angered me the most, uh, I think, about that day were these insurrectionists in suits and ties um, who were uh, still, even after the bloody insurrection, even after all the shattered glass and, and the death uh, of that day, were back on the House floor trying to overturn the election. Is Kevin McCarthy an insurrectionist in a suit and tie? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, why can't he say that on the floor? Because House members aren't allowed to insult one another on the floor. It's a decorum rule. Calling someone an insurrectionist is basically calling them a felon. Now, can they enforce subpoenas? What will that look like? And throwing around the word insurrectionist, is that okay? Let's bring in a legal mind who knows the players and the stakes. Norm Eisen, always a pleasure, counselor. Great to be with you, Chris. So, Professor, Am I right that uh, Congress does not have the muscle one might expect in terms of enforcing subpoenas? Chris, they have the muscle. It just takes too long to exercise it. Uh, When I was uh, counsel on the uh, first impeachment of Trump, we saw how slow the courts were uh, in uh, getting the testimony of Don McGahn approved, the ex-President Trump's former White House counsel, and getting the documents about Trump's finances in the Mazars case. It's not the fault of the House, Chris. The courts move too slowly. But, but there's some differences this time. The committee is moving very quickly. They're not dithering around with negotiations. All of these deadlines are coming due this month uh, for over a dozen subpoenas. And then we heard from Chairman Adam Schiff today on CNN. They're ready to do criminal contempt. Chris, that can move quickly. And we have some lessons from history on just how fast it can be. Calling Kevin McCarthy or any member of Congress an insurrectionist. You think uh, that is a legitimate claim? I do. Uh, you, 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 you nailed it with my former Obama White House colleague Van Jones in the last segment. This is not your father's Republican Party. Um, that, that what has happened is that the, the Trumpist big lie has taken over the mainstream of the Republican Party. Last week we saw, I brought it back with me. We talked about it on the air last week. I carry it with me. We saw the esteemed Senate Judiciary Committee minority senators saying that Trump did not exercise improper influence on DOJ or his concerns centered on legitimate complaints, Chris. They turned reality upside down. He exercised improper influence nine times, the majority found. So, and Kevin McCarthy is among the worst. Uh, I welcomed him when I was an ambassador of the United States. He came to Prague. Uh, That's not the Kevin McCarthy that we know. He is embracing this insurrectionist uh, 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 dogma 
of ex-President Trump. It is so dangerous for America if these individuals get power. Norm Eisen, thank you very much for your take, uh, both political and legal. Appreciate you. We'll take a break. We'll come back with the handoff. Telling you, we are all living, you know, the, the, the trite statement is, you're living in interesting times. We're living in historic times. They're going to be talking about this period in American history for a long time. And I don't think it's going to be in a good way. And I really do believe it's a question for each of us and for all of us. How do you want to be remembered? Where did you make a stand? What were you about? What were you not about? What did you live in defiance of? What did you embrace? Thank you for watching. Don Lemon tonight with its big star, D. Lemon, right now. I think you're right on that. If you are on the right side of history, which many on the anti-vaccine, anti-mask, and many on the conservative in the Republican Party, not on the right side of history right now. I'll say that flat out. Um, I heard your conversation in relation to Kyrie Irving. I heard your conversation in relation to January 6th. Kind of all falls into the same thing. A lot of it, misinformation and disinformation. Um, Informationally challenged. Yeah. Look, and, and I, I don't want to, look, I, I respect Kyrie Irving, what he does or what have you. Why? I respect what he does, meaning. Oh, you mean as a basketball player? As a player. basketball oh, player. Oh, one of the best point guards in history. Exactly. And everyone has, everyone has a choice. If he doesn't want to do it, fine. Then he, doesn't want to, then he doesn't have to do it. But one then must suffer the consequences of not doing it. And I think in the, in the larger scope of all of this, it is all about, right, America, right, humanity. We're all on team humanity. We're supposed to be looking out for each other as a team. And, we, and as a team, you don't just look out, what at, at, look out for what is just good for you. You have to look out at what's good for the whole, which is a team, which is America, which is humanity, which is, right, Kyrie Irving's team. The most brilliant thing, you know Myron Roll? Myron Roll is now a doctor, and it was a football player. Actually, the first story that was done on CNN, I did with Myron Roll. Great family he comes from. And he said, he was talking about Kyrie Irving, and I thought it was brilliant. He said, I firmly believe that athletes like him who are intelligent enough to make good decisions on a day-to-day basis to be given the information, uh, the experts clearly at his level, uh, he has to make the decision for himself and his team, he says. This is a, and then he goes on to say, um, as part of that team, they want to fashion themselves to be a championship organization, being vaccinated and making sure that everyone, everyone in the organization is vaccinated and he should follow suit. The best thing he said is, I think the word here is team. He is part of a team. We are all part of teams. You submit yourself to the rules, the regulations, the policies of the collective goal and mission of that team. If you step outside of that, Right. And they have the freedom to do so or he has the freedom to do so. But you are also saying that you are different from the team and you are separate and apart from that team. Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. So he can't say like, well, I want this is my personal thing and still be a part of that team because that's not what's good for the collective goal of the team. Yes. Coach coach said the same thing. Um, Coach Steve Nash. Uh, said, look, you know, we have championship aspirations. Everybody's got to pull in the same direction. He didn't. I'll tell you what I don't like. Uh, This little sidebar story that's coming out that, oh, it's not that he's anti-vaccine. It's that he is not taking it in protest for all the workers who lost their jobs because they wouldn't comply with mandates. Now, here's my question. If he's speaking out on their behalf by not taking the vaccine, why isn't he speaking out? Why isn't he speaking out? 
And why isn't he giving them, if he has the information and he's not anti-vax, why isn't he telling them that it is okay yeah. and that the, what the science shows about the, uh, about the vaccine instead of reinforcing and doubling and tripling down on misinformation? Yeah, I mean, look, I had this conservative uh, Mark Davis on tonight, smart guy, um, Ladapol in Texas on the radio. And we were talking about, you know, he says it's the root of conservatism is liberty and that, you know, you have freedom. You and I talk about this all the time. You have the right to do something doesn't mean it's right the way you're doing it. Yeah. And that has just been lost in this perverse sense of prerogative that, mm. hey, I have the freedom. To, you have the freedom to walk into traffic. Um, <laughs> I, you know, we don't suggest you do it. Yeah. And whatever happened to character counts. Yeah. And a conservative standing for values and ethics and doing what's right. Remember how they attacked Clinton? You remember how Mike Pence, as a member of Congress, wrote a letter saying, judge him as a neighbor. Mm -hmm. We need to have the moral rectitude in our leaders that we demand of ourselves as Christians in our communities. So you're not going to do something that science tells you to do to keep yourself and others safe in your community out of some perverse sense of freedom just because you don't have to? Well, but Chris, here is the whole point. You do have the freedom not to. So then don't do it. But then you cannot expect to do what everyone else does. You have the freedom. And that's what they're telling him. You got the freedom. We're not going to cancel you. We're not going to fire you, but you're going to be benched. Well, he's going to lose a lot of money. Okay, fine. But that's what those are the consequences. Oh, no, I don't so have any for, problem with no, the consequence. Just, yeah, those, I have a problem with the thinking. Oh, yes. See, because the thinking is how you get to January 6th. The thinking Amen. is how you get people who were real Republicans like five minutes ago. Right. Uh, you know, real ideas that need to be used as balancing mechanisms in our political dialogue now being quiet with the idea that, yeah, that election uh, wasn't real. And the next one uh, may not be either. You can, and you cannot be hypocritical about freedoms and liberty when... Quite honestly, and this is the whole, this hypocrisy drives me crazy. The whole idea about Colin Kaepernick, right? He can't do that. Oh, I thought he, I thought he had his freedom and his liberty. So Colin Kaepernick has suffered the consequences of what he chose to stand up for. You can agree with it or disagree with it. I'm not making a judgment on that. But you cannot be hypocritical and say, well, he shouldn't be able to do it. Nobody, don't disrespect it. Don't do that or whatever. Then don't disrespect my right are the other team members right to live and not get sick from COVID? Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Okay. Look, I mean, the answer that I got uh, tonight, which I, I thought was really interesting, um, is why are we the, the question? Why are we the only developed democracy having this vaccine struggle? And my, the answer why. was t- my because answer we're is... special. I mean, that's like saying, why do we have more guns than anybody? Yeah, it is like saying that. Yeah. Why do we? have so much more of a mentality towards violence. Because we have the freedom towards each other and we violence have the freedom towards to be ignorant. community. We have the freedom to be ignorant. We have the freedom to be violent. We have the freedom to, um, to act an ass. We have the freedom to do that. And it comes back to that question. Just because you have the freedom and you can, does, should, is it the right thing? And should you? We should know better. We should be looking out for the greater good and for our fellow man beyond just ourselves. And we don't do that because we think that freedom means selfishness. And it doesn't mean that. That's it. 
negative freedom. You mm. don't have the ability to tell ability. me not to do. But we don't think about the positive aspects yeah. of freedom, which is a responsibility to others and what yeah. license it gives you to do for them, which, by the way, happens to be the basis of the majority faith in this country, Christianity. Yeah. Yet that seems to be lost I in was, the politics. I was thinking that. I didn't want to go there because people get so mad when I go there. But it's, oh, my gosh. I mean, and if you, I mean, if you really want to go there, right, when people are like, you're socialist or whatever, the biggest socialist I've oh, ever heard. Oh, here it comes. You're going to drop the JC. The biggest I ever heard was Jesus Christ. He wanted to take care of everybody, and he did not like money. Although he did say, I'm just saying, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's when they asked him about taxes. Do unto others as you would do. And uh, whatever rich man is, could get to heaven, is, uh, it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get to heaven. I know it. Come on, Chris. I went to Catholic school. Of course forever, you did. And so did you. Of course. I did? Yes. Oh. Catechism. Right? And We're I ain't even Catholic. And I know that's bad English. Bad grammar. Thank you, sir. It's the least of our problems. <laughs> I love you. Do you hey, love we got, the handoff was great today. Wait till you guys hear this, this week's episode. Did a lot of listening on oh, this episode. You did? Yeah. We talked about... Whatever you wanted. Dave Chappelle. And we talked about trans and that whole discussion. You want to tune into the handoff. Cultural Thank tumult. You. Cultural tumult. Tumult. Thank you, sir. See Make you. you witness. Love you. Love All right. You. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.